Anyways, many years ago when we were running our daily vacation Bible school, and we'd done it for, I think, 21 years straight. Oh, I think it'd go back farther than that, actually. But anyways, when we used to do it, uh, we would also offer electives for those in grade 4, 5, and 6. We call it our summer sports and arts camp. And one of the electives we had was golf, which we held up at the old Aberdeen golf course. We usually had about 10 to 12 students in the class, which always began with some very basic instruction. And you know what the first one was? Don't hit anyone with a golf club. <laughs> I didn't want any of the young people losing their teeth, so I would really spread them out on the driving range and say, always make sure you don't walk behind anyone swinging a club. And then, of course, we'd go on to you know, things like grip, and we'd talk about alignment and posture and all sorts of other things. But, you know, as we ran this over five or six years, it became very apparent to me that not everyone really wanted to learn the game of golf. They signed up for the course, or maybe their parent did, but they're not really interested. Now, at first, I must admit, I probably took it a little personal. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to learn this great game? But after a while, I, I, I began to see that, you know what, it's not essential for people to learn the game of golf. It's just a sport. It's just a form of recreation. So just let it go, Harry. And, and, and you know one of the reasons I knew they didn't want to learn? You would show them how to put their hands on the club just perfectly. And, and they would do it in front of you a few times. And as soon as you went down the range a little bit to the next student, they were back holding it like this, whatever came natural to them. And you just had to let it go, let it go, <laughs> let it go. But you know, having said that, the book of Proverbs, which we're working through right now, this great wisdom literature, piece of wisdom literature, screams out this message. Would you be teachable? You really need to be teachable if you're going to succeed in life. It's kind of like the theme, the fear of the Lord, that runs right through the entire book. This loving reverence for God, 19 times we see that theme in the book of Proverbs. Well, friends, even more often do we see this theme of being teachable. Here's just one example uh, of a verse we find in Proverbs that calls us to be teachable. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and the, in the end you'll be counted among the wise. That'd be a great verse to memorize, by the way. Listen to advice, accept discipline, and in the end you'll be counted among the wise. Friends, there are at least 66 more verses in the book of Proverbs that contain this timeless message. Anyways, the picture you get in the book of Proverbs is that of a father who really deeply cares for his sons. He wants what's best for his sons, so he pleads with them over and over again, would you be open to learn? Would you be teachable when your mother and I are talking to you? And friends, he does so because he realizes that many of the issues that are before young people today are actually life and death issues. See, the father still wants his son to avoid people that will lead him in a very negative direction. And conversely, he wants his sons to be a people of great character, people who embrace hard work, generosity, respect for others, faithfulness to one's spouse, love for one's neighbor, and yes, above all else, a loving rela a relationship, a loving reverence for the Lord their God. 
And so, Father, so the Father here, he pleads, he really pleads over and over again, be teachable. And friends, I'd like to suggest that this message is as applicable as it was when it was first written somewhat 3,800 years ago and recorded in the book of Proverbs. For a wise person, friends, is a learning person, a person in process and not a finished product, to quote Paul Koptak. Likewise, the book of Proverbs assumes, and we're reading through it this month, friends, as a group, I encourage you to keep reading it according to the date. Today is the 14th. Read chapter 14 today and just continue, and by March 2nd, we'll have this all wrapped up. See, the book assumes, friends, that we're daily learning new ways to put in practice the teachings of wisdom. And so I would conclude, friends, that Proverbs 19.20 is really a timeless, timeless lesson. According to this verse here, teachable people listen to advice. And you ask, what is advice? Well, it's a word of recommendation. Hey, when you head off to school, son or daughter, I would really encourage you to do this. Pastor, I would really like it if you could consider doing this. I think it would be really beneficial to you and to others. A more technical definition of advice is simply this. It's wisdom applied to a specific situation. And one thing for sure, everyone in this room has received some words of advice over the years. And probably you'll continue to receive words of advice. And quite frankly, not all the advice we receive is really helpful, but I like to suggest that most of it's really beneficial to us. So I asked this morning, can you think of some of the best advice that you have ever received? But it wasn't hard for me to answer that question. Because, boy, I tell you, it's been coming to me all throughout my life. You know, here's, here's one of the things I can say. The best, maybe the best advice I ever received was, to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. People over and over again encourage me to encounter Jesus, to trust in him. This week I was at the hospice and I was visiting with a lady who was not long for this world and she, uh, she said, I just read a book on death and dying. And she said, I learned a lot. And then she looked at me and said, do you have any advice for me? And I just said, yeah, just keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. He'll bring you home. I also received the advice when I was in college. Make sure you review your class notes every day. And you know, it doesn't take long to do that, but boy, is it a way. It sure helps it stick. It sure helps it stick. I also received the advice to avoid debt on depreciating items when I was 19. A guy named Bill Gothard at a seminar taught me that. That has saved me thousands of dollars in interest. I had a pastor who said, Harry, avoid sex outside of marriage. He was a very blunt guy. He, he, was, he was a good man. I also had received the advice to leave Surrey in 1995. Two guys came up to me, Dave Griffin and Peter Vandenboss. And I'm so glad I listened to their advice. I also see the advice over the years to find my identity in Jesus Christ. Uh, years ago, we taught some videos by Dr. Neil Anderson. And it's interesting, Jordan's still using Dr. Neil Anderson's uh, curriculum here today. But over the years, find your identity in Christ. Great advice. I just say praise God for the people who care enough for other people 
that they will share advice with them. Oh yes, we need to make our own decisions sometimes and take full responsibility for our choices. But I want to say Proverbs invites us over and over again to be open to information coming our way. Teachable people are open to advice. Likewise, according to the book of Proverbs, teachable people accept discipline. And this is much more difficult. As I read the book of Proverbs, I mean, the the term discipline is a very broad word. But I think one of the key ideas to discipline is this, is being open to a word of correction. And that sounds a little tough on our egos. This week, uh, my wife received an email from one of the families in this church. And as an example of a four-year-old offering a word of correction to a three-year-old. Ian Casson, age four, and his sister Jasmine, three. Here's how the dialogue went down. Jasmine, Ian, how do you spell I hate you? Ian, Jasmine, why do you want to spell that? Jasmine, it's for all the bad guys. Ian, and now he's very serious. Jasmine, God tells us we need to love our enemies. I know it's hard, but that's just the way it is. (laughs) Well, that's a four-year-old lovingly correcting his three-year-old daughter. That's awesome. (laughs) Being open to a word of correction is not easy because, you know what, if you're open to a word of correction, you have to kind of say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Or at the very least, I was heading in the wrong direction in regards to my thinking or my behavior. But friends, the book of Proverbs before us this morning, this particular proverb, challenges us to be open to discipline, open to a word of correction. So I wonder this morning, as you think about a time in your life where you received a word of correction, can you remember it? I remember leaving a boys' club in the north end of Surrey, and there was 12 of us. We all jumped the fence, and we stole these beautiful fall apples. Well, to show you how unintelligent we were, we all got caught by one person. <laughs> you think 12 people would go 12 different directions. He rounded us all up, lined us up against a fence, and gave us a lecture. If you want an apple, come unto the door and knock. <laughs> it will always stay with me. When I was in grade 7, the principal, Mr. McIntyre, forcefully told me that I needed to respect my grade 7 teacher. We had this new teacher. He was the kindest, sweetest man from the prairies, and he didn't understand us Surrey kids. We were running all over him. And finally, he said enough. He talked to Mr. McIntyre, and on that day, I think five of us young men made a trip to the office to see Mr. McIntyre, and he convinced me once and for all that I need to respect Mr. Knudsen. Yes, I got the strap. I want to say, I don't want to have a dialogue and spanking here today, but that strap really, really worked. It changed my attitude. You know, on several occasions, I've had policemen say to me, slow down. Actually, that's an illustration of grace. (laughs) But they were right. And my wife will often say to me, Harriet, school zone. 
And if, I know, but you know, it hurts the ego a little bit, but yes, you slow down. Thank you, honey. I try to say that. Thank you, honey. You know, when I worked on the construction site, I can still see Mr. Walter Krieger. This is the way I want you to do it. And of course, he's right. He's a veteran builder. He's a master builder. You need to listen to Mr. Krieger. When I was 24 years old, and, and you know what? I didn't date much in my teens or 20s. I think I was just too busy. I don't know. I think my dad was getting a little worried. But anyways, <laughs> when I was 24, I was sitting in a kitchen, and my mother, who is a lady of very few words, she walked by me and just simply said, not the right one. And I, I was left sitting there, no explanation. But, but she was right. She was right. I'm so grateful that she had the courage to, to say what was on her heart. Because I think sometimes parents, we, we, we don't want to get our children upset. We don't, don't want them mad with us. So we, we back off and don't speak the truth in a loving way. And we, and we need to do that. On the day my mother gave me that word of correction, it was easy. But you know what? I think we have to admit, typically, it's not easy to receive a word of correction. In the words of a psychologist, Dr. James Carr, he says this, the major deterrent to this act of receiving information about ourselves, a criticism, a word of correction, is that we do not like to hear anything about ourselves that is not flattering. And I don't think we need a degree in psychology to know that, Right? But you know what can really help us? What can really help us to be open to advice is to know that the person who's speaking to us, who's giving us that word of correction, really love us, that they have our best interests at heart. And so the writer of Proverbs, the father in the book of Proverbs, is recorded as saying this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines who? Those he loves. As a father. As a father does. As a father in the son he delights in. Yes, fathers discipline, correct, out of love. And so does our heavenly father. And if you would go over to Hebrews and see where this verse is quoted, he paints a little bigger picture for us. And the picture is this, that God is looking to speak to us through our teachers, maybe through police officers, through everyone who comes our way. He'll even speak to you through the hardships that come your way. And he does because he's so incredibly in love with you. He wants you to share in his character, in his holiness. Friends, teachable people accept discipline and correction. And you know, if you ever ask yourself sometimes, you know, if I could go back and, and, and do some things again, uh, boy, you know what, I'd want to be more teachable, especially in those teenage years. I, I just like to sit at the table a few times with my parents and say, well, mom and dad, what advice do you have for me today? Is there anything that I'm doing that you think would be wrong? Of course, you have to pick them off the floor, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, but just to have this teachable, teachable spirit. And you know what? It should never leave us. Even when we move into our 80s, there's, there's always so much to learn. If we just, hey, speak to me. I won't take offense. And so I ask here this morning, how, how teachable would you uh, rate yourself? Like one being not teachable at all and say 10 being like totally open to correction and advice. I know we're all somewhere along the spectrum. And I don't think it really matters so much where we are right now, but that we're moving 
in the right direction, that we're moving in the right direction. Because you know, friends, we have absolutely everything to gain and nothing to lose. Third point, teachable people will be counted among the wise. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and in the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Being teachable is a path to a life characterized by wisdom. And wisdom is such a rich, rich word in the book of Proverbs. It's about skill, really. If you want to become really good in your job, you just keep on learning. Uh, Many of you professionals here this morning can keep going to seminars. You can keep on learning. Dr. Del Bigio is away at Sun Peaks this morning after his uh, boogie board accident in um, Hawaii. I'll let him tell you the story. (laughs) But there's still so many things for a doctor to learn. There's no end to learning. Friends, we can learn the skills of getting along with people. We can learn the skill of making good choices. And it comes to those who have a teachable spirit. In closing, let me throw out three questions. Question number one, like what does it mean for you right now to be a teachable person? You know, over the last several weeks, I've been throwing this question out to some members of my small group and and to a young man in our church. What does it mean for you to be teachable right now? And, you know, um, I convinced them to share their answers with me and then share it with you here this morning. So I'm going to invite Jane Epp to come and uh, Jacob Harder, and they're going to share with you what it means for them to be teachable right now. And... uh, We'll put this mic on, and Jacob, well, why don't you lead the way here? So, um, for me, being teachable means a lot of things, but I'll focus on just sort of one aspect today. Um, before I really knew Jesus, I was a very hard person to teach, and as much as I thought I was really taking in God's word and retaining it, I was really just filtering it and choosing what came in, what came out, what I actually applied, and what just kind of got pushed away. But in my more recent years of coming to a deeper faith with Jesus, I've realized that I can't be a filter of God's word. And in order to come into an even deeper relationship with him, I need to be a receiver of God's word. Now, what that means for me, and you may agree, when you become a receiver of God's word, you think of his word as a gift. And likewise, you see... um, the advice and correction from your friends and family, you see that as a gift too. And when you see it as a gift, you don't want to reject certain parts of it and say, I don't want that. You, you accept all of it. You take it all as a whole. So I've realized that I need to humbly accept God's word as a gracious gift from him. Because when I picture it as a gift, I don't want to reject it. And when I make the effort to receive advice from a friend or family member or from God, as opposed to just hearing it and have it go in one ear or out the other, it makes a really big difference in how I accept their words of advice. However, um, one of the biggest challenges that I've faced in doing this is just the, the humility aspect of it. Now, being in grade 12 and having almost graduated, um, I often think that I've got everything figured out and I've got my life ahead of me. And Well, the, rea- the reality is that I don't have everything figured out. And while I'd like to think I'm moving forward in my walk with God, my pride is often holding me back. 
The way I've learned to handle this is actually based on an excellent quote by C.S. Lewis. You may have heard it before, and it just started resonating with me recently. And I'll read it for you guys. Um, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So it's not like thinking badly of yourself. It's just putting others and putting God before you. So the way I've applied this is, I know that when I, begin, when I begin to develop the mentality that I know better than God does, and when I begin to put myself before God or above my friends or my family, it doesn't help very much in making me teachable because I often tend to think that I'm perfect or I'm just really good in what I'm doing and that I can't be made better for some reason. But the more I've started to uphold God's will above my own and the more I've started to uphold other people above myself, the more I've really been able to respond to God's word and to the words of my friends and family with the spiritual, spiritual humil- humility that God desires. Likewise, the more I begin to value other people above myself, the more I begin to feel impacted when I receive a word of advice or word of correction. Recently, I've made it a personal goal of mine to spend more time with God, to pray to him, to worship him, and just to be with him, be in his presence. And what I've noticed is by spending more time with God, I'm becoming more humble just by being in his presence and in turn more teachable. A few weeks ago, I really felt God calling me towards a particular person that I need to respond to in being more teachable. And that person is actually my dad, who's sitting right over there. My dad and I have a very different relationship, to say the least. Um, To describe it, we sort of, we both kind of have that... um, that mentality that, um, like, it, my dad did a sermon here a couple a couple weeks ago, well, it's a couple months now, um, and, I mean, he thought, and a lot of people thought, like, oh, it's really good, but, of course, he comes home, and I tell him, oh, this was bad, that, that wasn't very good, and everything. <laughs> I just, I went and corrected everything that he said. So, I'm, I'm not proud of that, and when God called me towards having this better relationship with my dad, it, it spoke to me, and I can't say I fully achieved that goal yet because often we're still correcting each other, but even just having God press those matters to my heart is just deeply moving for me because it helps me to see just how God plans to teach me and what he plans to do in my life, and I will definitely continue to work at that goal, and I have hope for the near future, and I, hope, I have hope that I will have a better relationship with my dad soon hopefully let's hope let's hope soon so yeah the breathing in that davis talked about the whole breathing in and breathing out aspect the spirituality and mission of god i've started to or the past few years i've really neglected the breathing in and i've started to uphold god's mission above god himself and in turn what i'm doing over who how God values me and how other people value me. And so that's really made it a challenge for me to accept words of discipline and words of advice. But after really taking the time just to know God, I feel like it's becoming easier and easier for me and easier for him to teach me. And the more I work towards becoming a receiver of God's word and seeing his word as a gift, as well as the words of discipline and correction from my friends and family, the more I think I'll learn about and understand what God really wants for me. And that's what I think being teachable is all about. Thank you so much, Jacob. That was great. And Jane, 
come and share with us what it means to be teachable. And I know Jane is because she loves to read, always <laughs> reading. But share with us, Jane. Thank you, Harry. Jake, that was wonderful. I, it's kind of hard to follow such a well thought out process. So when Harry first asked me to do this, uh, I took a big gulp, first of all, and thought, okay, um, I better do some studying. And I went to the internet. And I, you know what? I just think we're so lucky to have the internet these days because there's just so much information and knowledge on the internet. And it certainly helped me. So this is the definition that I got off of uh, the internet, off the Webster's Dictionary, about learning. It is the activity or process of gaining knowledge or skill by studying, practicing, being taught, or experiencing something. And then I found this quote, and I thought it was a really true, wonderful quote. It said, the capacity to learn is a gift, and it's a gift from God. The ability to learn is a skill that we must practice. And the willingness to learn is a choice. And it's our free will to learn. I have spent most of my life in some kind of learning or teaching activity. Um, we all have spent most of our life learning, actually. From um, our birth to age six is the largest upward curve of learning that we will ever have. We learn to talk, we learn to walk, and we learn all kinds of things about the world. And our brains for the first six years of our lives are like truly like sponges. They just absorb everything. And research has found out that after age six, that learning curve starts falling off a bit. Yes, we still have a great uh, ability to learn, but it's not quite the same as from age um, one to six. And it is also true that in our, as we move into our senior years, that curve falls off quite a bit. And since I'm in that senior age bracket, uh, it is something that does concern me a lot. And the need to keep lear learning and stimulating my mind is really important. Uh, another quote that I got off the internet uh, from Michelangelo, he said, at age 87, I am still learning. And that's where I want to be. Uh, since, um, yeah, and it has been said, here I'm quoting all the things that I found on the internet, uh, clear-minded people try to keep two things throughout their lives, to be curious and to be teachable. Uh, since um, teaching and learning music has been uh, the center theme of my life, uh, let me just give you a short example about my learning experiences. Throughout my life, uh, um, I've had to learn music to teach my students and to also perform for students and parents. And I admit, uh, it's not always to e was easy to learn. It, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, one of my friends asked me if I would join a group of hers that uh, performs music for each other. And one of the conditions of joining this group was to actually play something for them. So I chose a piece of music, and I have been practicing diligently. Um, and I do want to memorize it. That's my aim. However, I have really noticed that my ability to memorize is, is lower than it used to be when I was younger. So for my aging brain, I have made a conscious decision to work on learning and memory. So reading, I love to read. I read lots. 
I play lots of mental games. You can ask my husband. I'm on the internet playing games all the time. Um, I want to learn more music. And, um, and possibly I'd like to learn another language. One of the advantages that we do have as we get older uh, is that retirement allows us to travel more and the ability to learn as we travel. And so my aim is to remain teachable. Uh, studying in our small group has been a wonderful experience for me for learning. And daily I listen to, uh, it's an app called the Daily Audio Bible. And it goes through the Bible uh, in one year. So you get a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, the Proverbs and the Psalms. And uh, so that's also helping me. So there's so many opportunities today for learning. Uh, and I just want to remain a teachable person. So my prayer is, and I found this in Psalm 86, verse 11 to 12. Teach me, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. Thanks so much, Jane and Jacob, for wrestling with the question and uh, taking a little risk and coming forward and sharing it with us. Hey, just two quick uh, questions in closing here today. Uh, I want to throw out the question, what motivates you to learn? And you know, one of the first things I think that came to my mind was failure. When you fail at something, you're a little more open to maybe hmm, learn some new ways of doing something. I mean, hockey coaches would always say to keep your head up, keep your head up. And in grade nine or something, I crossed the balloon and with my head down. Well, about five minutes later, when I got my breath back, I really had learned that lesson, right? You know? But let me throw out uh, five questions here, or six questions, I think. Number one is, what makes you teachable? Is it your desire for wisdom? And, you know, I really hope it is, because something about wisdom, friends, is we're people who love wisdom because wisdom is all about living life well and so I hope that motivates you to learn what about your desire for knowledge you know we have to be careful sometimes in our Christian community to say you know heart knowledge is so much better than head knowledge and I get that but I want to say Proverbs holds knowledge way up there knowledge is something to be pursued and I remember memorizing this proverb years ago it's not good to have zeal without knowledge. So in other words, you can be really excited about doing something and all passionate about it, but if you don't know how to do it, you're not going to do it. And I can remember I was really zealous about changing my oil for the first time. It didn't work. It didn't work. You need to be instructed. You need to have the knowledge to do it. And that goes for so many things in life. Whatever your career is, keep learning new things about your career. Hey, is it your reverence for God? And again, I say, I hope so. I think there's something about reverence for God that makes us more teachable. I mean, when you come to understand that he's all wise, all powerful, all loving, you kind of get the place in your heart and your mind where you say, I think I have something to learn here. And so you learn from Almighty God, and then all of a sudden you realize if you learn from him, well, maybe you can also be learning from other people who are wise and loving towards you. And so I, I think teachability is a mindset that we acquire over time and through the choices we make. I would also ask this question. 
Is it your understanding of the gospel that makes you more teachable? Here's how I define the gospel. It may not be the best definition, but it, it works for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and enter into a life-changing and eternal relationship with our God and King. One more time. I should have had it on the overhead here, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news that through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven and enter into a life-changing and eternal relationship with our loving God and King. And please note that in my definition of the gospel, I said the gospel teaches us that we Yeah, we can be forgiven. In other words, we do not have it all together. We're all broken in some way. We have our blind spots. And if we do, then we should go around with the attitude that, you know what, maybe I better be a little more open. Maybe I've got a few blind spots and when I'm thinking about it, maybe regarding a certain issue. And so I think the gospel encourages us because we know we can be forgiven. It's just to be a little more open to advice. And finally, I throw this question out. Is it your identity that makes you more teachable? You see, you are disciples of Jesus Christ. You're seeking to implement his teachings into your life. And and you know what? Disciple actually means learner. So we're all, friends, lifelong learners as we walk with Christ. Being a disciple is about being teachable. Being teachable and discipleship go hand in hand. Friends, I guess I would conclude by saying that we have a lot of motivation to be a teachable group of people. God is gracious. There's probably hundreds of other ways he's working in our hearts to make us more teachable. And one final question. Who do we really need to listen to? Now, if you were to sit down and read Proverbs at one sitting, you'd get this message very clear. You need to learn from everyone. In fact, the father says to his son, would you even learn by looking at an ant? They don't need to be thrown out of bed in the morning. They just go to work. They're self-starters. They're industrious. Hey, son, learn from the ant. But the big picture in Proverbs, friend, is wisdom is calling out from every corner of the globe. There is always something to learn. But if I had to say, there is just, if there was just one person that you really need to listen to, I would let our Heavenly Father have the final say on that question. I really would. In the Gospels, in all three, in three Gospels, read this story about Jesus going up a mountain. It could have been Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel, and he's with three of his disciples. And in the presence of his disciples, he, he's glorified. His face becomes as bright as the sun, and his clothes become brilliant, and this cloud descends on them, and all of a sudden, these three disciples hear this booming voice. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Yes, above all else, all other voices, listen to Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. Yes, listen to Jesus, the most brilliant teacher who ever lived on this planet. Yes, listen to the one who really, really loves you. He was willing to give up his life for you so that you could be reconciled to God forevermore. Yes, listen to Jesus. And friends, listening to Jesus is most certainly one other way that we can live under the smile of God.